0: battleship pretension uh i am still scott and I.
1: i am david Bax. i am not tyler Tyler smith is not here uh but if you have been listening you heard the most recent movie journal uh that tyler uh was on so he is still um uh still showing up on episodes i still want to try and do at least one a month if not more absolutely depending his his availability and ability but uh but yeah, you got all he gave you all his updates uh, himself uh, less than a week ago. Um if you heard the movie journal. If not, go check that out. And also make sure to um check out the GoFundMe, which uh there's a post pinned to the top of the homepage at battleshippretension.com. I also think it's the pinned tweet on my Twitter. Um so uh yeah, help out with the GoFundMe. Um healthcare is not cheap. Uh and Tyler's been in the healthcare system in house for, uh, for six months. Um,
0: so, you know what uh, I, yeah, go ahead. You know what I like is one, I'm glad that we started the show with reminding people that, uh, to contribute to Tyler's GoFundMe as well. They should. Yeah. Uh, I was also just thinking about the way other podcasts are. I'm glad we never asked people to rate and review us on iTunes. You know, I think that's been a good move.
1: Yeah. Um, we do it on, um, uh, the one where I met your mother actually, but, um, uh yeah, I um uh I can't, I think I might have talked about this on the podcast before. That I had yeah, I did talk about this, right? That I had an idea for a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that Natalie talked me out of it would just be about iTunes reviews.
0: I still, I still think it's <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> um all right. Well um, um we're pressed for time we gotta get yeah, we ready. are
1: sorry i'm i'm like flustered like uh as, as scott knows something like happened with me and that'll be right before i mean we're fine but um we got <laughs> some
0: papers need to be signed this afternoon so we got to get through this episode yeah it's been a terrible uh, time to actually move into a house together but you know that's the way life goes <laughs> sometimes it reveals things you don't expect
1: no we we do have to get going but of course it's Battleship Pretension, we have to do a top of the show mini-topic. And um, I guess I I tend to I try to avoid calling out people by name on the podcast because I got in trouble for that once. Um, This is going way back. I I, I said something about, and I like Matt Singer a lot, but I said something about something that Matt Singer tweeted. And of course, the internet being the internet. A lot of people like added him and were like, "Listen to this guy talking shit about you or whatever." <laughs> um, but uh, it all came to came back down to my like uh, bafflement that people love Back to the Future as much as they do. Like I like Back oh, to sure. the Future, but I just don't understand why it's considered such a, a classic. Uh, but that that ties into my whole like love hate thing with with Robert Zemeckis. Um, there's so much I love about his movies, and that all of them seem to have at least a few moments of like really cynical, like audience pandering that tends to, to, to bother me, or sometimes more than a yeah. few moments, you know, like I was really on board with welcome to Marlin up until like the, the finale of that movie, which I thought was so like pat and condescending. Totally and, and simplistic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk to Robert Zemeckis. We're here to talk about a certain, <laughs> um, entertainment journalist, I guess. Um, Someone yeah, who specializes in review or reward or no awards. Coverage. Awards season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and he tweeted something about the, the variety awards. Is that what you were saying?
0: No. So he works for variety. He works for variety. He uh, works variety. Oh, OK. What is the awards? The DGA awards were last night at I the time see, of recording this. Usually, you know, Eagle, eared listeners will recall that we usually record on Thursdays due to a technical hiccup. We're recording on a uh, what the hell? Is yeah. it, Sunday morning. Um, so the DGA yeah. awards were last night. And apparently Paul Thomas Anderson had some introduction for Tar, noting that it is so funny, which it is. Tar is a very funny movie. And yeah. even to someone like me, who's a Tar skeptic, uh, I can recognize that uh, this awards editor at Variety uh, seems so baffled by this concept, which is not only amusing. I mean, a lot of people were dunking on him as an individual um, for not finding Tar funny, but at um, least still loving Tar. he was like in his top ten um that's less surprising to me i've noticed weirdly people who get into the awards coverage racket seem to be devoid of a sense of humor there's something about devoting your life to something so frivolous (laughs) and taking it so seriously that just rips out their sense of humor entirely um or maybe just attracts particularly humorless people so that didn't surprise me but like to not even know that other people think tar is funny is very surprising like either you didn't sit with an audience with it or you haven't been reading what people have said about it because everyone talks about how funny it is.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I definitely found it it very funny. Um, uh, Especially the whole thing with the, uh, (laughs) her her apartment, (laughs) like uh, her apartment is like for rent or for sale, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, All that stuff is very funny. Um, The like, I mean, there's things that happen at the end that I thought were very funny, but I don't know. What the statute of limitations on spoilers uh, is? If I were Tyler, I would just spoil. Tyler like is uh, so cavalier; he doesn't care uh, (laughs) because he doesn't care about spoilers, and he doesn't think you should. I um, I agree with half that statement. (laughs) I agree with the first part. Um, Like Morgan Freeman. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it was very fun. But I also think it's maybe the the um there's, there's an issue with like the way a movie is talked about. If it's talked about like a best picture contender, Kate Blanchett giving the, one of the best performances of the year, it's a topical movie in some ways. Like right. if, if you've put on the lenses, the lens, the glasses that, you know, through which those glasses through which to see it, maybe you're not going to pick up on the comedy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that this kind spurred from a comment from Paul Thomas Anderson, because I think his movies have the same thing where like, People don't want accept that they are funny because they're big important movies, and they are big important movies. But they're also like ridiculously funny in very base ways. Usually, I mean, there's like fart jokes, and some of them, you know, it's like um, some of them are like clever wordplay and stuff. But, but for the most part, it's just like people being weird and silly.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I will I will even admit that it took me until a second viewing to really get how funny There Will Be Blood is. Oh, totally. Because I was I was seeing it as this. This epic um and and this this, maybe it's a similar thing like uh a great epic movie like comedies aren't usually two hours and 45 minutes or whatever tar is um so so maybe it's just like well you know i have this experience of the opposite thing and maybe this we're getting into something that could be like an entire topic i remember when natalie and i went to see why am i drawing a blank young adult um Which I believe was the first movie we saw at the Noho Seven, because hmm. what year is young adult 2010 twenty eleven I want to say eleven yeah, so that was like when the NoHo Seven, which is yeah it, it, whose fate is sealed and will probably stop
0: existing within a year um interestingly, you know, I went there recently and they had a sign up and said, assuring our customers we'll be here. Uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it seemed to be like pushing off those rumors of eviction so oh, okay. I hope that going, hope that's true. I, I yeah, love I'm to going back there saying. this weekend, and so I'll take another look at that sign. Um, although I've been
1: like a a, a, a big um, Lemley Glendale person lately, that seems to be my my go to a lot of the it's time. Even further away for you, uh, uh, I don't know, because I can get to the 134 pretty easy. Anyway, this is not the point. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the point is, I remember seeing young adult, and now there's a Natalie and I are sitting there, and behind us is a group of. I don't want, I mean, a group of, like, middle-aged ladies. I don't, like, I hate to make assumptions, but it felt like a mom's night out type sure. of, like, party. And I think they, I get the impression, this is the story that I wrote for myself, that these these women, like, <laughs> were like, we're, this is our night out, we're gonna go see a comedy. Right. And they, like, we're laughing uproariously at like, I mean, there's very funny stuff in young adult, but also sure. there's like with Patton Oswald, there's like some super sad stuff, yeah. you know, and they were like laughing at that. And it just felt like, I think people do have the ability to tell themselves what a movie is going to be before they see for it sure. and only see it through that lens.
0: This would be a good sh- topic for a show.
1: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well maybe let's put a pin in it now and come back and do Perfect. it as a show sometime. um, Real quick, before we do anything else, I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, Today, I was listening to, let's see. Oh, so recently, so I'm a little bit behind on new music because I always start the year, like, catching up on the stuff I didn't listen to. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh into in the previous year so it t- generally takes me until like february or even early march to like really catch up on what's happened so far uh so but but about a month ago um drake's uh drake's record label ovo october's very own um signed its first female artist which is like weird it's <laughs> <That's> very weird <laughs> uh because they have been around so long but uh signed a uh a, a, a singer named naomi sharon who uh so i listened to a couple of her her singles um and they're very uh sort of ethereal and and pretty and i i really liked uh these naomi sharon songs so good for drake i guess for finally catching up to female (laughs) artists (laughs) that's not fair because he's always like featured you know with with women and he's like obviously had like a years-long crush on rihanna um (laughs) It's, it's pretty clear, but uh sounded great on my tweaked earbuds that are avail- available at a low, low price at tweaked audio.com. If you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension. Scott, hello. We're back. We sure are. We're really in the swing of our lead up to our top ten of the year, and, and no escaping uh, it now. Oscar covered. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we are doing. Um, this is a, a, a topic. This weekend, next week, are our, our episodes that Tyler uh, uh, came up with, and this is where we list off some of our favorite individual achievements in film in 2022 basically this means our own we'll do the bps awards they might be a little delayed because time is just crazy later. But, but this is our personal just like things we'd like to see you know you know individuals we would like to see recognized for acting and directing writing uh and then we generally do a, a wild card um now uh tyler and i have long Taking the same approach to this that we take to next week's episode, which is through through the cracks is that like, you know, there are people who are nominated for awards that I think right. deserve to be nominated for awards and They're it feels fine. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to use it to, to shine a light on, on some things that aren't getting the awards uh,
0: attention that I, that I thought they should. I will uh, even go a step further on that and okay. say that I also Picked things that are not currently and probably won't be my top ten, which oh, I will. I did not. Talk, do that. And so I will like fold in my thoughts on those uh, later, and I'll kind of note throughout this episode where I'm diverging from that because there are some that like these are definitely my picks, and there are others where I'm like, well, not maybe my number one, but I'll talk about that in a couple weeks.
1: All right. Well, we have <clears throat> we have seven topics uh, traditionally. Tyler picked or, or categories. Try, Tyler picks the categories at random. And we jump around. Absolutely. Um, do you want to uh, want to do that? Sure. And and, and go first.
0: Oh gosh, uh, pressure's on. Well, I'll just go with uh, let's go supporting actor then. Okay. Um, for which I chose um, Conrad Ricamora from Fire Island. Did you see Fire Island, David?
1: I did see Fire Island.
0: Yeah. Um, so he plays kind of the Mister Darcy type because Fire Island is like a loose adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah um yeah and so he plays the mr darcy role um and right away i mean not like right away but soon after seeing the movie i was very sure that he would be my supporting actor pick for the year um i just think he's a very compelling presence in a way that mr darcy performances aren't usually so like you think of i mean i've only seen bits and pieces of the colin firth version and then i've seen the um joe Wright adaptation where what was his name matthew McFadden? That sounds that right? right. I think it's McFadgen. i Oh, sure. Some UK pronunciation. Um, plays Darcy. And <laughs> no. both of those kind of like lean into the, um, his, the characters kind of like insecurity as a way of making his aloofness more human. Um, what's interesting about Conrad Rickamore's Rick kind of uh take on it is that he's, he seems very sure of himself um, and he seems very content to be a little bit of the outsider and not like fit in with kind of the like big hyped up gay culture of fire island um and so there's a certain like uh confidence that he quite confidence that he brings that then becomes more immediately alluring you know sometimes these mr darcy types and like why does elizabeth bennett care so much about the guy he's kind of a a doof and kind of a dick um yeah and clearly uh unsure of himself, but, uh, I can't remember even the character's name they give in Fire Island, but uh, Conrad Rick Mora um plays him with a lot of um self certainty that become that quickly becomes very alluring, and you can see why I think the main character's name is Noah um is drawn to him even when he's uh a little put off by maybe his uh self centeredness. Um, so yeah, yeah I was um, really impressed with that performance.
1: I don't know how you can can't remember the character name Will. i mean maybe that's why i couldn't remember it uh but yeah Conrad rickamore was also on how to get away with murder which i watched the first season of back when i used to watch a lot of tv um also played a gay character on that i don't know if that's a coincidence or if that's something that he uh uh does but um (laughs) all right so my supporting actor pick is uh an actor that i'm always happy to see in films by the director whose films he's always in. <laughs> okay. So I am talking about uh, Kwan Hai Hyo in the novelist's film. Oh, sure. Um, he plays, I don't know if he's, he plays the film director. I don't know if he's supposed to be a Hong Seng Soo. Su- surrogate if so then hong sang su clearly uh has some self-deprecating <laughs> uh,
0: visions of himself well we know that for sure yeah
1: yeah so um he's he, he's he's doing this mix of uh there's a certain like cockiness to him but also an awkwardness and i think that's like something that's i I certainly am I'm a very insecure person and in certain situations I maybe compensate for that by sure. seeming more confident than I am and I think that's that's how he he comes across um you know the uh the novelist in question, the titular role. Um <laughs> he recognizes her because that he like I think if I remember correctly, he had like developed one of her novels, but then it ended up not making it into a movie. I think. Yeah. And so there's like an awkward history with them, and he recognizes her, and then like sends his wife to go like oh, right. <laughs> talk to her. He won't even. But then he starts like asserting. Then they run into an actress played by Kim and he and he says something that he I think means as a compliment, that is very condescending, and then gets like told off, and then he's gone for the rest of the movie after that. But uh i just uh, as I've become as uh, I think I think that this came up on either a recent Patreon or a Patreon that hasn't posted yet. One of the mailbags. Check it out at patreon.com slash battleship retention. Um uh, a listener asked us, mostly you but us, uh about why we're such hongheads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh uh yeah, seeing uh Kwan He hyo uh show up is a, a
0: a big part of it for me. Yeah. I mean, his regular stock cat company cast, I mean, not that yeah. he has the same actors in every film, but it's always fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. Those folks emerging, uh, for sure. Uh, Hong or sorry. Quan is one of the key contributors to that president. And sometimes it's just like a reassuring president, but here and in walk up, he has like really meaty roles. He can dig into, and it's always, always good.
1: Yeah, I am, um, uh, for the, um, I think I said this, well, I probably said it on the Patreon, patreon.com slash battleship Uh When I submitted my nominations for the OFCS awards, I didn't actually nominate him for that, but I did nominate Lee Hai, Lee Hai-yong, I think, uh, as lead actress and Kim Min-hee as supporting actress. Nice.
0: Clearly, I really loved the novelist's film. As well, you should. Yeah. Alright, what are we doing next? That's up to you. Oh, I'm picking everyone. Good. Yeah, you're picking everyone. All right. Um, That's the way Tyler does
1: it, and you're filling in for Tyler.
0: Oh, gosh. Let's uh, knock out adapted screenplay. Well, we just do screenplay. Oh, gosh. Well, then I really got to make some decisions. So you do screenplay, and I will choose which of these I will prioritize. Okay, so I'll go first this time. Normally,
1: I um, get annoyed at people who treat screenplay as if it only is about Dialogue, sure. But I'm going to be a hypocrite and pick a movie that, in terms of structure, is often a complete fucking mess, but okay. is so fun scene by scene and has so much great dialogue in it. I'm picking Damien Chazelle's Babylon for screenplay. Sure, it's just a collection of great. Actually, it's not a collection of great scenes. There are scenes that don't work for me in this in this movie, mm. which weirdly adds to its charm. Um, that there are these big set pieces. And then there'll be like, like the whole thing. I am not going to too too many spoilers, but Margot Robbie at uh, Jack Conrad's party and she's in the bathroom and she overhears people talking shit about her. Yeah. I didn't love that scene. That's such a stock. Like, yeah, that's scene. a little, yeah. But then it leads into her, like, let's go out to the desert and watch my dad fight a snake. And Absolutely. This crazy, insane scene. And, um, uh, the movie is just full of, of of things like that um great little moments i love the um uh diego calva's uh uh being sent to uh, calm down the extras (laughs) that scene and how quickly it escalates from him like towing the company line to them threatening to kill him to (laughs) riding horses around just it's all these little scenes that reminded me of um in a very obviously very different movie but um Uh, inglorious bastards is a movie that i also think of as like more a collection of scenes Mm -hmm. um that each have their own uh three-act structure almost than than anything else and and babylon scenes are like that but on you know at at ludicrous speed like things get things get out of hand in scenes in babylon so quickly uh and that becomes part of the the fun of of the movie so um uh I don't know you remember you and I were talking about the uh the young fuddy-duddies and the uh, <laughs> um the directors they consider fraudulent according right. to one tweet we we singled out and Damien Chazelle was one of them and I remember you saying something that like in order for these guys to and they were all men uh directors to to actually like break through they they'd have to make something that's so undeniably great babylon is clearly not that right babylon is not undeniably great but i do wonder if babylon is in many ways so not what these people think damien chazelle is okay you know what i mean um because it's not uh what do people say like uh uh i forget the term that they use use for like uh girly boys you know what i'm talking about like i don't uh, think
0: i do know what you're talking about
1: okay um but like, like uh yeah i i i'm I, i'm sounding like so old but yeah. it's not uh about these like it's not about sensitive boys mm-hmm. you know or, or or sensitive men who are essentially boys babylon is so uh, assaultive and ugly but also very beautiful at the same time that it's um it's not going to necessarily convert people to to the cult of chazelle but is it is it is babylon different enough to make people who think they have him figured out at least think
0: their assumptions about him well i think first man should have done that because it's very different
1: um yeah that's something we talked about these people can be very selective when they talk about you know, when when they talk shit about David Lowery, you you were pointing out they don't mention the old man in the gun
0: because no, that doesn't fit does. doesn't yeah. fit the, the narrative. Yeah, I do know that Babylon has turned a few people o- over. Like I, I know Mariah wasn't a Demon Chazelle fan at all, and when the trailer came out for Babylon, she was like the first to shit on it. But then it's her number one movie of this past year, yeah. um, and there are a couple other people who kind of fit in that boat. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, I think Babylon will age well in the same way that a lot of these kind of movies do. Um, I think it's kind of his New York, New York um, that people will like more in retrospect than at the time. Um, yeah. But I am not. I'll be over
1: here on the right side of history.
0: The yeah, time. I'm not 100% sure about this, but I, I, I believe I will have a lot more to say about Babylon in the next few weeks. Okay. Um, my pick for screenplay. Gosh, I think I'm going to just go with uh, Owen Klein's funny pages. Um, which is also relentlessly funny, and just like in terms of like sheer number of great lines, uh, pretty unbeatable this year. I was considering also Banshees of Inishirin, but uh, you, I'm glad you point out that you guys tend not to focus on like big awards stuff because I think it was right, it's rightfully like getting touted for an awards. I know you're not a fan; you can save it. Um, <laughs> but also has a, a number of great lines in it. I, I still think, though, Funny Pages is shorter for sure. Density of funny lines, it's it's got to be. Um, the kind of story is that there's this, uh, I was going to say kid, but is he, I think he's more of a, a young man who's moved out of home, um, for the first time is kind of living out well, of Well, doesn't he like, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he's in high school, right? Is I was trying to remember that.
1: Because I think the teacher who, I guess, minor
0: spoiler, dies like 10 minutes. That's in, right. In the movie is his high school art teacher. But I think he was graduating high school and choosing okay. not to go to college instead try to make it on his own as a cartoonist um and so this the arc of the story is him trying to do that and like living in truly the worst apartment i've probably ever seen on film yeah and those two guys that he lives with are the source of probably the biggest laughs i've had in any movie this year um but it's such a sharply written screenplay and uncommonly honed for it being like a you know been a lot of topic of nepo babies of late um owen klein being the son of kevin klein you would expect a much less uh honed persona but uh clearly the gifts that kevin klein has honed over the years have passed on well and he's not just purely coasting um i'm sure in terms of like the production and stuff he was able to get resources that you and i wouldn't have but um he wasn't just resting on his laurels in terms of the construction of the screenplay which, yeah, in addition to being very funny, is also just um pretty densely plotted as these sort of things go. Like you a lot of coming of age stories can be like very meandering and very nostalgic and very like, oh, woe is me. But there's like consistent activity going on in this kid's life as he's trying to like strike on out on his own. Um and has just outstanding characters. I mean, I mentioned the two guys that he lives with, but also um kind of his main source of like inspiration is this like Kind of destitute guy who used to work in the comics industry um, and who now is just relying on like disability checks and just barely getting by and clearly has mental health struggles and who is a mixture of deeply comedic and deeply sad. Um, and yeah, just on every level in which you would hope a screenplay would succeed between the dialogue, between the character construction, the, the overall structure of the screenplay, this is about as good a screenplay as I've seen in quite some time.
1: Yeah. Um, I love this movie. I have a lot to say about it. Uh, the, um, the forced mentor is Matthew Marr or mayor. Yeah. I'm not sure how you say his name. Um, and he's been around um, for a long time and you can see him currently in the trailer for air Ben Affleck's air. So I guess oh. he's, I guess he's going to be an air, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I love this movie by the way, Owen Klein being, uh, the son of Kevin Klein makes Owen Klein, a St. Louis and once removed. So I'll take okay, right partial, on. partial credit. Um, sure uh yeah the movie kind of feels like if you took the like stock like sundance coming of age story and then removed the stuff that makes those type of movies like <laughs> safe to watch with your yeah. parents and grandparents um, and packed in a bunch like, of
0: stuff that makes it unsafe for that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's incredibly like uh uh grizzly and uncomfortable and and grimy yeah. uh, and it feels very east coast um uh it i mean it takes place in new jersey right
0: yeah um, i mean it feel, but it feels the east coast and that can sometimes feel like a little stifling and like i recently watched um fleissman is in trouble the uh, fx series and that feels very east coast and kind of an elitist way this is yeah, like no, this is the opposite in, and i I,
1: yeah. I talked about this in my review of funny pages back when i used to actually review movies um <laughs> that it feels like that lower class east coast because the east coast is like the oldest part of America is, as it is yeah. now there's this kind of entrenched underground economy you know totally. um like the fact that he like he gets a car through like just uh, uh his old boss like giving him the lease and then he yeah. like finds this unlisted apartment to to live in and this this idea of of uh the underground economy um i thought was really interesting and also really interesting that someone of privilege like Owen Klein would be uh, so tapped into that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm seeing actually on his Wikipedia page that he crewed a little bit for Josh and Benny Safdie, which you can totally see a similar mm-hmm. sensibility.
1: Yeah, that's and it's all um, Tyler and I have talked about the, uh, the podcast, formerly radio show, now podcast, The Best Show. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, yeah, The Best Show has connections to Owen Klein and to the Safdie's uh, and also to there's an actor and he's not really an actor he's a personality who used to call into the best show and his sense passed away hmm. um uh who went by his name was bob uh no i can't remember his actual last name but he went by avalanche bob and uh he is in funny pages uh giving a eulogy at the art teacher's uh funeral oh. at the beginning of the movie so it was really nice to to see him and to recognize that 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 voice. Um, but yeah, Owen Klein clearly is is clearly very with it given that he has connections to the best show, which I consider to be very with it. <laughs> Obviously. All right, what's um, the next category? All right, back to, you, back to you going first.
0: Hi now. Let's do um lead actress. Um okay. here this is definitely one where my main picks I'll be talking about more in depth than for our top tens, um, because as usual, most of my taste revolves around great leading women in movies. Yeah. Um so I, I went with one that felt actually just outside of my top ten. I don't at this point I feel comfortable saying it's not going to make it in, but Anna Cobb and We're all going to the world's fair. Um mm,
1: yeah
0: is it's her first film and I think is even noticed that in the credits. I think it's she gets the one of those and introducing Anna Cobb kind of credit lines. Um but it has all the markers of kind of a non-professional performer without like the uncertainty. I mean, to a certain degree, the character has a lot of insecurities that come through. Well, um, she is getting invested in this kind of like online community that may or may not have a supernatural component to it. Um, and besides just the vulnerability of playing into the kind of the horror, uh, architecture of the film, she also there's also nuances to the character that are kind of teased out where you're not sure how much she's buying into it and she's not sure how much she's buying into it and being able to play those two lines side by side and reflecting a very teenage kind of experience of like trying to be more grown up than you really are and trying to like carve out an identity for yourself but you're not sure how to but you don't want to let on that you're not sure how to Um, There's just so much baked into the performance that really the film wouldn't be as successful without someone that Mm -hmm. strong. And I'm just amazed that her first time out that she, and for so many of her scenes, like it's just a camera on her computer looking straight at her. There's nowhere to really hide in the editing of it. She has to carve out that space for herself um, and just does it so well. Um, So yeah, I was really, really struck by her.
1: Yeah. I don't have much else to, to add, um, a uh, wonderful movie, wonderful performance. Uh, okay, I guess it's my turn for lead actress, and I am going to uh, crib from a movie that I'm guessing is in your top 10, and I'm going to go with Margaret Qualley for Stars at Noon. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm picking this because, I, and I think I said this on, I can't remember if it was one of Scott's movie journals. Or, at some point, we were talking about Stars at Noon, and I talked about how the the number one thing I think that that drew me into it Is that, and I think this speaks to Claire Denis as a director, that the movie seems to be shaping itself as it goes along according to what the characters are doing. You know, it's not the the movie is not imposing on the characters; the characters are designing the movie, uh, or the design of the movie is just following the characters. And because that's the way that it's set up margaret qualley's performance in many ways kind of is the movie as the lead big time as the lead character of of the movie and it just feels like claire denis um is showing such great respect for her cast and 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 her star and just like following what she's doing so it's hard to even like for me to even dissect or analyze what her performance is it's just that the the movie wouldn't uh this movie as it is would not exist without her. Claire Denis would have made another movie with another actress. And I'm, I'm sure, but, um, uh, she's so thoroughly self-possessed in, uh, Margaret Qualley is not necessarily the character, um, uh, who has, you know, plenty of insecurities of her own, but Margaret Qualley feels fully self-possessed in, in the role. And, um, you know, I don't, um, I'm not, I'm not, I I don't feel like I'm seeing Margaret Qualley, the actress make decisions. I just feel
0: like she is just being uh, the character. Yeah. And the character has to, um, I don't know. The character is like, I think very certain of herself in a way that um, clearly is self-constructed because she has no reason to be certain of herself. But that's what I was
1: talking about. Like I was saying before that mix of like, insecurity and 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 I, uh, I, yeah, uh yeah but i think at whatever. this point it's
0: not even insecurity anymore i think she's just completely convinced herself that um she's the victim here in any circumstance and she so much of her identity is baked into mm-hmm. that and the arc of her character is very much about like discovering that um she's done this to herself to a certain degree and accepting generosity um, from unexpected sources. And that arc could be very pat and very uh, over-determined, but I think the way that she starts to open up and make herself more vulnerable is so unusual and um, intuitive It kind of follows from like, you know at the start of the movie she's just like flipping people off on the stream, and be like i hope you i hope the u.s destroys your country or whatever yeah. um and so for her to go from that to the point she ends up at the end of the film without it being really overdetermined determined or underlined in the script it's just kind of like an intuitive realization she comes to is really it, unexpectedly touching i found it to be from like i was very captivated perfor- per- performance right away but i didn't expect where she would end up um as the movie went on so that's also a testament to her
1: um, another thing I'll say about Stars the noon has nothing to do with market quality, but it's just on my mind right now in a sort of, I, I, sometimes there are movies that feature songs and that song gets stuck in your head forever. Yeah. You know, when I saw her smell, um, the, her cover of Brian Adams, uh, we're in heaven. Is it called? Yeah. I think it's just called heaven was in my head forever. This time it's a dish. I need to go to Costa Rica to <laughs> eat the, the breakfast that Benny Safdie eats uh sure. in, near the end of the movie it's been in my head and also natalie saw the movie and she and her sister went to costa rica years ago and she was like oh yeah i had that exact dish oh wow it's it's so it's it's just like eggs and rice and beans but it's so simple and she was like it's so great and it looked so good on the screen
0: <laughs> I, i'm like i i need to go to costa rica and get that breakfast well Claire Dini is nothing if not a master of capturing the sensual pleasures of various things in life right. so yeah right all right, uh, let's, all right, what's uh, the next, let's do a wild card. Um, okay. For this, I went with Jasper Wolf's cinematography for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, I, I liked Bodies, Bodies, Bodies a lot, and I know people weren't necessarily as into it. I know a lot of horror people were like, it's not really a horror movie, which I don't care about. Um,
1: and it's... I don't care about that either. My problem was that as a satire, it was pretty, uh, I don't know, it didn't have a lot of teeth
0: uh yeah that's fine i guess i don't mind that aspect of it um but i was really struck by how it was shot especially pretty soon in the movie uh the power goes out because they're kind of trapped inside in the storm and the whole movie becomes lit i mean i'm sure there's artificial lighting in there as well but it's lit by like glow sticks and cell phones and not only the technical ability to capture the either capture that or recreate it convincingly but also the way it becomes this kind of like beautiful, uh, symphony of light really, um, became one of the more captivating qualities about it to me to the extent that, yeah, I didn't mind when the script was a little thin. I really liked all the performances though. And those kept me going, but, um, just the visual experience of watching the film was so enrapturing that, um, I wanted to, wanted to call it out.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, um, I like that too, even though I don't like the movie as much as you, um, Sorry, right, for my wild card, if I had to pick a category, I would say production design. But really, yeah. I just want to pick a name. And that name is Phil Tippett. And uh, oh, just sure. for the for the realization of Mad God after 30 years and for it to be as amazing and powerful and captivating and beautiful and gross uh, uh, as it is, um, uh, you know, there, there's there used to be a, uh, some certain people still talk about this, that like the best editing or the best production design, the best cinematography is invisible to the viewer. And I used to kind of sign on to that, but you know what? Fuck that. Yeah. No, I want, I want to marvel at, at the, at the technical aspects. And I spent so much of mad God just looking at, because it's an animated movie, but it's stop motion. So he physically created these worlds in miniature and looking at the detail uh and the beauty of the sort of destruction uh um and and the uh, uh rot of this world and, and the different layers that it goes down i spent so long just being like wow so much work and artistry and design <laughs> went into this and i don't think that's a bad thing that i was thinking that while i was watching the movie um so yeah uh my hat's off to phil Tippett. congratulations for completing mad God and for making it so great.
0: Yeah, this is, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause there's a handful of films that I still want to catch before our top tens. And I really need to see this movie. Um, and I mean, yeah, especially for like a stop motion thing where it's all created and sculpted. I, I kind of, am especially fine there with people it, it calling attention to itself and you want yeah. to take note of it. Um, all right. Let's, uh, do, I think we're going to save director for last. Let's do, um, supporting actress. Um, okay.
1: Here's one where I'm glad you're not pulling from your top 10. I think. Okay. We might have the same
0: person. Let's see. Chloe East. Yep. Hell yeah. Um, well, normally
1: I would say, oh, he picked Chloe. East. Let me pick a, a, a runner up, but we're pressed for time.
0: So let's just both go with Chloe. East. But also like, she's that good. And like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's in the Fablemans, she comes in late in the film and plays. Um, so I don't know if you caught this, but so she plays uh, Sammy's girlfriend, um, Sammy being the Steven Spielberg surrogate. Um so in every award season there's like Oppo research that comes out and like is like a mark against the film. You know, I think the most famous example it, not the most famous, but one of the more famous examples is like how suddenly there's all this talk about Zero Dark 3 endorsing torture. And that, like, was said to, like, sink its awards chances because they didn't really fight back against that perception. So somebody tried to, like, launch a campaign against the fable end by saying Steven Spielberg didn't have a girlfriend in high school. (laughs) 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 Which is a hilarious shot to try to take at a film. Um, But also is all the more impressive that they just created this character out of thin air. I assumed this could come from somewhere because she's so specific and interesting and lively. Um, But no, they just created the film's best character from thin air. So that's great too. Um, And a lot of it's in the writing, you know, she's a Jesus freak. Who's like also kind of turned on by Sammy being Jewish um, or at least turned on by like the possibility of converting him. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so much of it is in her performance and Every second she's on screen, I wanted to be a part of whatever she's in for. And I just love the bravery in the construction of the film that it goes from uh, the scene where um, Sammy's parents have just, they're going to get divorced and there's a big heart to heart with him and his sister. And then it cuts to them pulling up to prom and she's like, "Uh, hold your breath. And this sprays the hairspray like everywhere in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I I would like to rewatch the movie to remember all the specific little moments that she has, but I, it's, she's so immediately present in every scene she's in. And so like naive and confident, but also kind of sweet in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Julia, to, my wife, to a extent, will chalk this up to me just always uh, falling for super annoying girls on screen. But I, I do like that. She's um, charmingly annoying. <laughs>
1: yeah i didn't find her annoying i found her very charming and yeah you the uh the hold your breath hairspray thing is absolutely the funniest yeah moment and for like i mean an actress of her age to have that kind of confidence in as daunting a movie as a steven spielberg like you know um uh romana clef or whatever you want to call uh, sure. uh co- call it autobiography type thing um uh, is it's a really, it's really impressive how unselfconscious she is. Um, I guess I'm saying a lot of the same things I said about Margaret Qualley, um, <laughs> but I guess they are both, uh, uh, annoying girls by year, <laughs> at least by Julie's yeah. standards. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't have much, much more to say. Um, I mostly just wanted to talk about how fun a character she is and and what she brings to the movie but also i mean that uh steven spielberg has i'm the umpteenth million umpteen millionth person to point out how little sex there is in his movies and when he does have sex in his movies like with munich he mostly gets lambasted for it um uh but i think there's something um about the uh the the connection between sex and religion and specifically the connection between christianity and sex and in terms mm-hmm. of like jesus always being depicted as this young hot guy and, <laughs> and and so much of it being like about consuming his physical form especially i'm thinking more catholic is more right. or that but there's there's still that um uh you know i mean, in the commentary for last temptation of christ uh paul schrader sort of glibly uh refers to christianity as a blood cult but um <laughs> i do think there's something very like i think people a lot of christians especially try to push off or or obscure the fact that there's a lot of physicality to christianity and that jesus was both fully human and fully divine and i think mm-hmm. that's a big part of why a lot of christians have problems with last temptation of christ is it remembers right. that he is he is he was he was fully human uh and so um yeah you you sent me down this path because you said all the stuff that i wanted to say so i guess i'll talk about how she embodies uh uh, uh an avenue that spielberg doesn't normally
0: uh pursue i think yeah and which the film i think is pretty upfront about tackling and which i found surprisingly self-reflective and refreshing yeah all, all right um right uh, I count, we've got two more categories then I get I think we're on to lead actor okay um, so I am still kind of torn here, but I think I'm gonna go with the one that I'm sure will fall outside of my top ten because the my second pick might still fall into it. I'll go with uh jack L- Loudon Loden in benediction um oh yeah, which uh is a film that I like very much and which is probably my top twenty if I were to really line it up um but there's an extent to which the film like suffers a little bit from its lack of budget (laughs) because it's a big lavish period piece that like, clearly they only had enough money to shoot like exactly where they placed the camera (laughs) and not bring any production design elements that would fall outside of it. Um, so sometimes the film can feel a little stifling. Um, but it, it, it ends up working somewhat for the film's favor because, uh, so Jack laden plays, um, Shit. What's the character's name? Siegfried Sassoon? Siegfried Sassoon, yeah. Yeah. Um, who was a famous poet, um, who uh was gay and who um through much of the film is struggling mostly with his career, and then that becomes a reflection of how that pulled out into his personal life. Um and so the film is concerned with like the limitations on which we can even have to view the inner life of a historical figure. Um And a lot of that is in Jack Loud's performance, which is uh, by turns very inviting and open and sometimes a little closed off. Um, And what I found kind of an interesting undercurrent throughout the film is that he's surrounded by all these terribly witty, very charming uh, men, but doesn't seem to find a real purchase for his, the undercurrent of emotion and um, vulnerability that he wants to have with them. And so a lot of Loudon's performance is in trying to give over more of himself than his lovers are willing to accept or able to accept. And that's a hard line to pull off in any film, but especially in the architecture of Terrence Davies film, which is as typical, um, a little reserved and very British and very um, uh, interior that he can still convey all that through his expression and through his line readings. Um, I was, I I don't think I'd seen Jack I think I certainly hadn't taken note of him, but now I'm very invested in whatever he does next.
1: Um, yeah, I like this. Um, again, according to my dumb rules, uh, it's uh, a 2021 movie Sure, sure. Um, or else it would be a top ten contender for sure. I was very moved uh, by it. Jack Loudon, um, yeah, he's been in. Well, I guess he was in Dunkirk, but I mean, who, who wasn't? <laughs> yeah, uh, but um he stood out for me to me for a few things that i don't think you've seen he was in the wolf hall miniseries that was on pbs yeah i didn't see that um he was in mary
0: queen of scots which i know you didn't see because you know i actually did see that um oh, okay and i completely i yeah i must just must not, not just must not have taken note of him
1: um but the main thing that i um remember him from his fighting with my family uh oh is, shit. Uh, yeah he wasn't that yeah low-key a very charming movie um and he's in one of the small acts in in the first small acts uh mangrove he's their lawyer the like white guy who turns out to be like way more progressive than you assume
0: uh and is like i saw mangrove now
1: yeah um whereas the rest of the legal team is like trying to get them to be more like respectable in the courtroom and like be more like traditional he's like encouraging more uh Uh, activism anyway he's yeah i like him he's good i also um in this movie liked uh jeremy irvine who plays ivor novello um the real life uh uh actor um jeremy irvine was a star of warhorse speaking of steven spielberg and i don't think i'd seen him in anything since and um i didn't really like warhorse uh but he popped up here, and he's uh wonderfully catty uh, yes absolutely (laughs) in, in in this uh all right, so my um, my pick for best lead actor, I'm going with Benoit Mejimel from Albert Serra's Pacifiction. Um, because this is, uh, it, it's, in many ways, I think it's a very challenging performance. It's a very long movie. He's in pretty much every scene. And the point of every scene is that he, almost to be seen the, the, almost the point of the movie is that he is not as in control or as powerful as he thinks he is. So he basically mm. has to play a guy who has all the like, cause he, he plays a, a French diplomat to um, a, a Polynesian Island um, who thinks that he's representing the people in charge, but he gets there and he finds out about the, there are rumors of resuming nuclear testing uh in the island chain that he has no idea about they're like potentially uh they're they're activists that he thinks he thinks he's a friend to but they clearly don't see him as a uh legitimate like representative of the french government and are not taking his advice plus there's potentially an enemy submarine in the waters off the thing there's all these things going on that he is this guy who shows up on this island as like i'm here i'm the guy you know (laughs) you know uh celebrate me i'm going to in a condescending way he's like i'm here to help or whatever but he realizes he has no power no one wants his help and he couldn't help anyway and the people above him are making decisions without telling him anyway so it's it's um it's not a very like active performance a lot of it is just him being stymied and so i think um there's a challenge to to consistently playing that um without it turning into just like pure comedy which again like like tar there's plenty of funny stuff in pacifiction um especially the fact that he like wears this he wears the same cream white white suit (laughs) the entire movie wherever he is even like on the back of uh um jet ski or whatever he's just like (laughs) wearing the same cream white suit it's 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 funny the movie is very beautiful but uh yeah there's a lot that's on his shoulders uh for a movie that is in some ways epic and in scope like the in terms of obviously the length of the movie but also the uh the cinematography often has a, a a grandeur to it and he has to play this very uh internalized uh role uh i think it's very very well done
0: uh, I'm somewhat surprised that, that you count this, because I thought usually your uh, year designations are like it has to have both premiered and been released in the U.S. in order for you to consider it for your list and stuff.
1: Uh, I th- I'm not sure if that was ever actually my rule, but the rule okay. I'm going on is it has to have premiered in 2022 and then released before we do our top 10.
0: All right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It just got released this past weekend, so that's why I was curious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, like, I, and that's more like that rule has more to do with. Okay. (laughs) There are things that will be on my personal top 10 that break that rule. That rule applies to the top 10 that I publish or talk about on the podcast. And that just has to do with respecting the listener. You know, it feels, it, it, it feels too snobbish of me to Put like, you know, there was one year that, like, in my personal list, I think Vitalina, what is it, Vitalina Vital- Verena, Varela. Varela, um, I think was my number one movie of 2019. But I didn't put it in my top ten because, like, no one who hadn't been to uh to Toronto or Sundance because it actually played the Spotlight huh. section at Sundance in 2020, um, would have even had a chance to see it. So it feels, yeah, it just feels braggy. It feels like a jerk. So. Pacific Fiction does qualify because at least some people in the U.S. Uh, will have had a chance to see it by the time we do our top ten.
0: Yeah, and it's not even just a New York thing. It actually came out and counted four oh well, a lot like five or six different cities this past weekend. So
1: all right, well yeah, really not it L.A.
0: It's a couple weeks till L.A.
1: Yeah, uh, check it out if you can. It's it's really good and also very much like most movies, but very much worth seeing, uh,
0: nice and big. Right on. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. So I'll have to catch it at the Royal in a couple of weeks. All right. So that just leaves director, right? Yep. All right. Um, so I was all over the place, obviously like discounting stuff for my top 10 hacked out a lot of it. Um, I thought about maybe highlighting a journeyman type because there were a lot of really good journeyman director films this year. I mean, I've talked about Ron Howard on the podcast last couple of weeks for 13 lives, really great um you and i just before we started recording talking about how how much we both dug uh the batman matt reeves excellent journeyman material there i need Um, to
1: i wrote off matt reeves the only matt reeves i had seen before this was cloverfield and i did not like cloverfield and so i had gotten in my head that i don't like matt reeves movies um dude delivers i don't know i need i need to go back and watch i know you're a fan of uh he didn't never let me go is that
0: right was that him? No, yeah. that was Mark Romanek. Um, I actually, oh, Mark Romanek. Matt Reeves has like, been... I had, kinda, the, I had the initials, right? Yeah, there you go. Matt Reeves That's has been kind of like... consumed with uh, Planet of the Apes movies, which I did not dig right. Dawn, and I didn't see War. Okay. So, I, I didn't see his I remake see. and put the right one in, Um, but I've been... That's what
1: I was movies. thinking. Never let me go. Let me
0: in. That's why. Sure, I, yeah. And also the
1: initials. I think I could be
0: excused for uh, <laughs> sure. making that... Um. Anyway, Batman, excellent director movie. I also thought about it like Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun Maverick. Um, yeah. But Ultimately, I kind of settled on a more traditional Scott and I pick and went with uh, Nadiv Lapid for Ahead's Knee, which in terms of like moment to moment upending what you expect a movie to be at all, let alone what you expect a director would do with a movie but still translating a certain interior sense of identity and self onto the screen through a visual medium in a way that's it's unexpected and boundary pushing, but still kind of digestible Um, is really an unparalleled. He's like, just to me, one of the most talented filmmakers around right now. And even if um, his films seem to rarely cohere enough to make my top tens, they seem to always just fall a little outside of them. Um, I'm consistently excited by what he brings to the screen and how unusual his choices are within that. Um, so felt like this was a good, good place to spotlight his work there.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously it doesn't qualify for me because you and I saw this movie together in the year 2021. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Uh, but also I, I, didn't, I mean, I knee has a lot of great things, uh, Going for it. Um, uh, it's really exciting. It has the uh, the the female lead is. Um, I mean, I guess if you call it a female lead, but the most prominent female performer yeah. is wonderful, and uh, I was crushing for sure. <laughs> uh, it also has a great needle drop. Uh, Bill Withers' "Lovely Day." There's a whole. Oh yeah, I totally the, about uh, that. It's playing in the taxicab but then from there it like goes on and we see the whole like it plays like the whole song you see like different townspeople I think or something it's been a while um, but I think you mentioned him being unexpected he takes big swings I think the big swing in the final act did kind of go a bit too far for me a little, a little bit too uh, uh, Sturman drawn sure. um, uh, and also just I mean you know, it I can't help comparing filmmakers to their other works, and I think ahead's knee pales in comparison to synonyms. For sure. Synonyms is still his best to
0: me. Yeah.
1: All right. So we're gonna close with my best director, who uh is Saint Omer's Alice Diop. Um there's uh in the movie Jiro Dreams of Sushi, um not my favorite movie not my kind of documentary necessarily <laughs> but Jiro, there's a there's a thing that Jiro says in that movie that i think about all the time and have applied to so many different things hmm. and he's talking about how lazy sushi sushi chefs will rely on fatty cuts of tuna because it does the fat does the work for them there's more mm-hmm. flavor in the fat um uh, you know, I use this argument sometimes because Natalie, when it comes to beer is very much like an IPA ale type of person. Mm-hmm. And I like a great lager and, but like, there are a lot of bad lagers, but like lo- like lagers are more difficult to do great mm. than IPAs. Cause IPAs have the hops and that, you know, you just put a bunch of hops in it and there's more flavor. I'm sure beer people are like thinking I'm being condescending, but I think you can, if you've seen Santa Maria, you can kind of see where I'm going Yeah, with this that there's not a lot of fat on this movie and a lot of it relies on long takes long still takes long um uh sections of court testimony and it doesn't fall back onto doing the like a time to kill like big court like (laughs) courtroom speechifying like it unfolds like a court case probably would in uh um in france I don't know about their system, but it seemed like it was pretty much it was. It was uh, there, there's, there's nothing for LSD up the director or for her cast or LSD up the screenwriter to hide behind in this movie. Um, it's in many ways she's very different from the the Deav approach very. to to material. Um, it's it's so lean and austere austere that that um, any any mistake on her part would have been glaring a wrong foot would have been would have been glaring um so for uh we'll see in a couple weeks where um saint falls in my estimation of the year's movies uh but for it to be that good with so little embellishment uh, i think is a testament to her uh skills and control
0: yeah i mean i'll definitely have a lot more to say about in a couple weeks um in terms of the direction i'll just note before i forget about in a couple weeks um that i think it also has a wonderful sense of perspective without um underlying it a lot because the architecture of the story is that it's about this woman who's gone to see this trial that's going on the you know the perspective of the movie isn't from anyone involved in the trial it's from a spectator essentially And without constantly resorting to like reaction shots or her point of view from her uh, seat in the, I don't know, not like in the courtroom, I guess in the pews or whatever they're set up as. Um, Gallery. What would you call it? I know. Right. Um, You don't say audience. No. Yeah. That'd be weird. (laughs) Yeah. The crowd. (laughs) Um, From her, like it doesn't take any of the usual tactics to reassert her position in it, but you still get a sense of her perspective throughout that. And that's a testament to her visual strategy throughout the film that you always feel her being there and feel her thinking about what we're watching um, without, but yeah, like I said, kind of underscoring it in any way. Um, And it just has, it has one of the best, um, probably for me, the best, um, I guess, shot reverse shot I've seen in a film this year, where you finally get a confrontation between the two women in a way that's not directly confrontational, but is so, because we had gotten used to the kind of the way the film's laid out to suddenly have that moment hit at the moment it does is like very moving and very striking. And so her her sense of building a larger visual pattern throughout the film is really amazing, especially that this is her first narrative feature. She's done a bunch of documentaries, but in terms of like her deciding, like how each sequence can go and not, you know, uh, leaving some of it up to chance is uh, a really remarkable achievement
1: yeah well uh we did it we we counted down or, or listed off our our favorite individual achievements um you can yeah you can find reviews of some of these movies let's see <laughs> you can find reviews of saint omer that might be it um at com. i really got to review more movies i don't have time anymore mm-hmm. uh you can find those. You can find other podcasts, uh, other episodes of this podcast and other podcasts of Battleship Pretension, including my other podcast, the one where I met your mother, where uh, my wife Natalie and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week and compare and contrast and do all sorts of uh, fun, fun stuff. Um, you can email me at David at battleship You can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension.
0: Uh, yeah, letterbox David Bax. Um, Scott, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter rail of tomorrow, um, and on Letterboxd. All right.
1: Well, uh, thanks for filling in once again, Scott. Oh, absolutely. And thank you at home for listening. And we'll get you next time.
0: Bye. Bye.